on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. My advice to anybody that's out there, when you got someone that's trying to push you into something that you're really not comfortable with because your skill set's not there, it's okay to say no. You know what? There's going to be other work that's going to come in. Go knock on some doors or whatever it is you got to do and just be excellent at one or two things until you get excellent at the other ones that you want to tackle. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast today. I've got Brian Kelly here on the King stage. My man, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm incredible, but I'm jealous. And you're in the Northwest, Spokane, Washington. You're in your mobile unit today. I can just, I can smell the freshness through the screen here of the that cool mountain air. I don't have oh, that yeah, here in Kansas pines. City right now. Yeah. I've never been to Kansas City. The only reason I'd go would probably be for IHOP. And yeah. that'd be about it. There you go. Maybe one day we'll meet each other, but, yeah. but ideally it wouldn't be in a hot and muggy place. It'd be in a cool, breezy mountain area, but regardless, Brian, tell us what kind of business that you have. Okay. So I own a construction company that specializes in interior finished carpentry. So we're the guys that come in after drywall and we put up all the doors, the uh, millwork. We're the ones that really make your, turn your house into a home. So all that pretty woodworking in the magazines, that's what we do. Yeah. Love it. I just got done building a house. We moved in March. We've been building still technically there's pieces still being done. (laughs) So we've been building for what seems like 24 months, but I'll tell you what, you're right. The trim, the built-in closets, the doors, the the stuff around the fireplace, you just name it. You're hundred percent right. And I'll tell you what, we got to know our trim guy or the millwork that I got, we got to know him better because Man, it was a big job. He was here for a long time. <laughs> oh wow, nice. And, yeah, those and are fun I don't know if you can tell, but I have I've got some I got some trim design here behind me. I don't know if you can tell that or not. Some of the oh yeah, I see it. Nice trim on the wall. Yeah, there you go. So That's anyway, cool. I want to know before we jump into your history here and your story. I want to know what makes you tick. Why are okay. you still building this business? Obviously, you've been successful. Otherwise, at a certain revenue mark, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have had you here on the show. But why are you still doing it? I actually, so I just turned 40 years old this year in January and people are like, Hey, that's just a bit, that's a big deal. And I'm just like, it's just another number. And then I didn't realize it actually is. So this year I've really done a lot of serious, deep introspection inside of myself. And I've had to ask myself, I'm like, is this really what you want to do? I've been doing this for 20 years. So I'm at that point of retirement. Yeah. from this field and maybe going to another one. So I literally had to ask myself those questions. I'm like, if you didn't do this, what would you do? Yeah. And would you enjoy doing it? Because obviously I'm an entrepreneur. I know how to build something from the ground up. So it's right. if I'm going to do this, am I going to go work for someone else or work for myself? But even in all those questions and that introspection of where am I going to be in the next five years, 
and looking at this company, I'm like, why am I doing this? And it's because I really enjoy it. I love to build. I love to create. I love being able to walk into a blank palette and be able to get in there and start literally just painting on the canvas, except I use wood and wood yeah. products. And that's what I enjoy doing. Cool. And so when it really comes down to it, I love to build things and I love to make it look beautiful. I love the art of the craft and just the, the mental games of having to put some of this stuff together. Because yeah. there's a lot of times someone comes in and gives you a picture or a blueprint and hopefully it's a good blueprint or a right. good picture. Sometimes it's not. And they're yeah. like, hey, we want this. And then you got to go figure it out. How's it going to work? How's this piece going to come together? Because literally what I do is we're puzzle makers. That's right. We take a puzzle, we make the puzzle, and we put it together. So true. And since I've been doing it for so long, I make it look easy, but it's not. Yeah, it's not at all. And the other one, other thing too, that I really had to come and wrestle with is in my industry, we have such a shortage of craftsmen. And they say laborers, but we have such a shortage of craftsmen. If I leave now with my knowledge, I'm not giving anything back to my industry. I'm not giving anything back to my community. The knowledge that I have and I possess the skills, I want to take that and give it to the next generation so that they can be successful with their career and where they're going with carpentry and or entrepreneurship or whatever it is. Because I'm one of those yeah. guys, you can come work for me for three, four years and you're like, hey, Brian, I really want to go do this. I'm going to get excited for you and I'm going to love you and yeah. I'm going to help you there get to that point. Yeah. That's cool. <clears throat> Do you find that a lot of guys that work for you are young, aspiring craftsmen? Not right now. It's, I've got a couple young kids that I'm trying to get on. It's been tough. Most of the people are my age. They're like thirties to thirties and up. Yeah. We had, because of how they really enforced the four-year degree and all that, there sure. was probably, a, there was a large gap where no one actually entered the construction trades which is one of the reasons why we have some of the construction slowdowns even before the pandemic just because we didn't have enough manpower. But yeah. now we're starting to look more attractive to people because you don't have to go to school. You're going to learn. There's a reason why there's a four-year journeyman process. So you're right. going to be a batch, have a bachelor's, but you're making money the whole entire time. Yeah. Exactly. And your skills are going up and you're learning around people that have been doing it for years. So it's not yeah. like you're just in like this school environment where you're learning out of a book. You're actually in the field, getting dirty, learning the tricks, making money, being able to provide for your families. And, you know, that's one of the things that we have to offer. And it's fun because yeah. we literally, the trades literally build America. Yeah. We build your cities, we maintain them, we operate them, we design it. We are the guys that keep this thing running. Without us, it goes, it goes to toast pretty quick. That's right. Yep. That's right. I appreciate that vision and just the ability for you to be vulnerable there. Because I think we've all had that conversation of, do I want to continue? What do I see myself doing in five years? And there's always those moments that pull us, whether it be back in or push us over the edge and we do something different. I know I've had multiple of those moments over the course of my entrepreneurship journey as well. Tell us, just real quick here, how did you get started? Like, what, what was business always up your sleeve or how did you become to be an actual business owner? Business was actually always up my sleeve, even though I didn't realize it. Okay. Unfortunately for me, I love my mom and dad, but they're the ones that said, you need to go get a good job that pays good money and stay there. But then on the other hand, push me to go out there and mow lawns, pull weeds, do stuff like that and make money. 
Yeah. And the thing was, I like to make money. And I was like, shoot, I can go mow this lawn and make 10 bucks, which for a kid is good money. Yeah. And then I learned the savings process at that point in time where I took half of it. I could do whatever I want. And I took the other half and I put it in the savings account. And that's how I bought my first car. And then, so I had my lawn mowing business when I was a teenager. And plus I worked another job at a burger joint and I was in the restaurant industry for probably five, six years before coming into construction. And so when, so a little bit, getting a little bit deeper and more vulnerable here. When I was younger, I was a little wild and crazy. I had a big anger problems. So I got in fights all the time, just got in trouble. And, yeah. uh, and that landed me in the big house for a couple of years. So I got out of there and I was also selling drugs, which I was selling pot at the time, which was illegal, which the irony is looking back at it is just, that's another entrepreneurial thing in a very bad way. You just, but, had, the wrong, you just had the wrong object. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I had the wrong product. That's what it was. I in prison, I get out and now I'm forced to get a job, but I'm limited because now I'm a felon. Right. And my felony was for a $80 check forgery in Idaho. Idaho is really, really hard on people. And they were just, you got to get this guy out the streets. Yeah. Um, since then, Jesus got a hold of me. I've been reformed, grown. I'm nowhere close to that guy anymore. Thank God. Sure. Yeah. So I'm working this landscaping job, which ironically was called Kelly Garden Center is what it was. Okay. And so I'm working there. And my foreman's brother owned a finished carpentry company and he'd been talking to me about it and I turned it down twice. And then the third time I'm like, fine, I'll go check it out. I'll try this. And I did. And I'm riding in the truck with these guys, listening to them talk. And the vilest things are coming out of them. I'm like, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> and then I just jump in, I try it out and come to find out I'm really good at finished carpentry. Yeah. And that's what really started my journey in construction because I got recruited. I didn't pursue it. I got recruited. Yeah. And since my options weren't that great, like I couldn't go get a job as a businessman for some big corporation because of my record, I had to come to the point of, if I'm going to do this, I got to do it on my own. Yeah. And yeah. the irony is, so I went from finished carpentry and I've done pretty much everything in construction except for the major mechanical stuff. My first business was in my twenties, right before the recession. No, in the recession is when it happened. I started a roofing company in the middle of the recession. And the only reason I did that is because I went down to California, which got hit really hard to roof a house for my uncle on his rental. Yeah. And I spent 10 days there. We did that. We got that thing flipped, ready to go. And I sold five jobs in California in 10 days wow. without trying. Yeah. And I'm just, and I said to myself, wait, you got a big old chunk of change in your pocket. If you can do it in California, you can do it back home. That's right. And so I went and bought the tools I needed and then I just started selling roofs and I did a couple of them. And then I got to the point where I was able to fire one job and cause I was working two at the time, just to get myself back on, on my feet. Yeah. And then I got to the point where I was busy enough and I'm like, you know what, we can do this. We got enough work here. We can pay our bills and do it. And I finally fired my other job and I went to work for myself and I was doing roofing and I partnered up with an old friend of mine that did trim and paint. And so we both just tag team things. So when I couldn't roof, I was doing trim and paint and we just went and rocked it out as much as you can during the recession of 2008. Exactly. I love the story. I think it resonates with for sure a lot of folks in the trades, but even folks that didn't go through necessarily the issues, what the real estate and what the trades went through during that time. I still think that as an entrepreneur, we hear that story and we go, Yep. I've always had a little chip on my shoulder. I've always maybe done things a little unique. So 
let's go back to, you can use your, the roofing company as an example, if you'd like, but maybe just mm -hmm. early years of this carpentry business that you have now, oh. obviously you're successful now, but I want to go back to maybe year one, year two, before the million dollar mark. And I want you to tell mm -hmm. me about a good decision that you made that you can look back on and go, ah, uh, yeah, that was a, that one right there. And then share that with the listeners. Okay. So for me, first year of business, taking on whatever I can, doing a lot of different remodels. And I decided I'm doing research on, hey, how do I grow this thing this time in this area? No one knows who I am. I know I'm really good at this. And I read something about joining an association. So I did some research and I joined the Home Builders Association here in Spokane. And that was probably the best decision I made. Wow. Because I went in there. And we did the interview process. I gave him the $650 for the membership fee. And then next thing you know, they're talking to some people and get me connected with one of the big builders around here. Yeah. And I went over there to the big builder and it was just me as a single member guy just doing stuff. I went and did four houses in two weeks for them, blew their minds, better quality, better speed. And then they're like, okay, we're going to give you this subdivision. It was a small one. They always do that. And I went and rocked that out. Then they brought me to the higher end subdivision. And there was like two or three other finished carpenters there at the time, aside from myself. Then it just kept getting to the point where it was me and then two, and then me and then one. And then next thing you know, they're like, hey, we want you to take everything. Yeah. And at yeah. that point in time, I'm just like, oh, crap. Now I got to beef up. And I ended up hiring <laughs> one guy. And then uh, we were just rocking things out. And we just had to hire a few more. And right. that was a process. It's oh, yeah. the interview process really of hiring employees doesn't happen. It really happens out in the field. And that's the thing I learned because that's where you get to see not only are you a good fit for the company culture, can you pick up what we're doing? Can you show up on time? Yeah. Are you not on drugs? Was one of the issues I came across and, yeah, yeah. and just went through the whole entire gambit. And I don't care what company you're part of or what business, everyone deals with that in the hiring process. Yeah, so we exactly. grew pretty fast. And the other thing with the association that I learned, and I guess I would call myself a master at, is networking. Yep. I would go to as many networking events as I possibly could. And I went in there with the idea, I'm not here for sales. I'm here to build relationships. And it worked. Yeah. And now I'm at the point where they're calling me and I'm not calling them and knocking on doors. Yeah. And just building those good relationships, being honest, doing what you say you're going to do. Yeah. And if you screw something up, go and fix it. It's for me, it's pretty simple in that, in that aspect, as far as the work, work wise. It, goes. it is pretty simple. And I'm glad that you even said that afterwards, because I was thinking the same thing. Wow. So simple that you would just join a place where there's other people who you can add value to. And then eventually what happens is that when you're given the opportunity, so I, I took several layers of what you said there. Number one, put yourself in a position to meet other people, just other people need to know what services that you have, whether that's guessing on a podcast, whether that's going to a networking event, whether that's joining a mastermind group, whether that's talking to your family and friends, or, Hey, I now have this skill set. Like other people need to know that you have this availability. And then when given the opportunity, what I heard you say is that you did it freaking well, you did it with excellence. You did it with speed. You did it with accuracy so much so that they didn't just give you another job. They gave you multiple other jobs and it, and excellence will always, it will reverberate is probably the right word. When you provide excellence and value inside of the excellence to people like this example that we're talking about here of Brian continuing to get new jobs, it reverberates to the person that you're giving value to. They now want you on all their other jobs 
or they want to introduce you to other people. This is just how relationships and value works. You want to add anything to that? I was, but then I forgot. I'm trying to remember right now. (laughs) Sorry about that. That's all right. It'll come back to you. If it does, just jump in. I want to know, flip the coin. Let's talk about a bad choice. What'd you do along the way, especially in those earlier years that you wish you maybe wouldn't done? Taking on projects probably that I wasn't as skilled in just to stay busy. And because of that, I wasn't able to be as in that as I do with finished carpentry. Yeah. Um, I, that would be honestly that, that, and I did take a big contract one time with a company that I just had a gut feeling I shouldn't do it. I talked to some of my peers and they said, just stay away, dude, just stay. And I did it and it was a disaster. Yeah. And, and it hurt my reputation because they had me doing things that I'm not really qualified to do. And they're like, well, you're smart enough. You can figure it out. Yeah, I can figure it out, but not on a production level. And you might want me to practice a little bit. And that's something I've dealt with. So I guess my, my advice to anybody that's out there, when you got someone that's trying to push you into something that you're really not comfortable with because your skill set's not there, it's okay to say no. You know what? There's going to be other work that's going to come in. So just sit back, relax for a little bit, go knock on some doors or whatever it is you got to do and just be excellent at one or two things until you get excellent at the other ones that you want to tap. hundred percent. I love that. And I love how you said, sit back and relax because that's the mentality, but the action was go knock on some doors. You can't sit back and relax on the couch. You sit back and relax in your mind of going, don't operate from scarcity. Don't operate from a place of desperation. Go knock on some doors though. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the thing too, is like the scarcity mindset. It's almost like a fear-based model that hits your head and you can't make good decisions if you're operating in anger and fear. That's right. And then you're desperate and you're actually, what you're doing is you're grabbing, I don't know, like a cube steak instead of a filet mignon or the ribeye. So we're not here going after the cube steaks. We're here to go after the ribeyes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the poise to know that the ribeyes do exist, not even just exist, but that they come regularly. But if you're constantly full on the cube steak, then you're not looking for the ribeye. It's all about mindset and perspective for sure. Hey, Kings and Queens, Chaz Wolf. I want to talk to you about something that's super important to me. We put a lot of time and effort, we meaning myself and my team into this podcast, into the content that goes out every single day. And if you have been getting any sort of value or insight from this, we want it to be able to reach other business owners too. So we would love if you would like, comment, share, leave a review, post, share again, (laughs) all of the things on social media, on all the different platforms, or even on the podcast mediums of Apple and Spotify. We would love to be able to get our content into more hands, more entrepreneurs, so they can grow their business as quick as possible. Together, we are building a community of like-minded entrepreneurs who are committed to growing their businesses to new heights. So let's do this. Let's help each other. Let's help each other grow. Okay, tell us, Brian, what kind of discipline maybe, or maybe a process that you have around making decisions now? You were just hinting on a little bit with the stake idea there, but how do you make decisions today as a successful business owner? I'm starting to use more data and I question my decisions. What is the worst possible thing I can do in this area? And I answer that question and then I just go backwards. And let me see, that's a tough one. I'm in this transition phase right now where I am trying to be better at decision-making. Yeah. I think honestly, when it really comes down to it, my decisions that I'm making for my business, my company and who I am is, does this actually fit who I am and who my business is? Yeah. And if it doesn't fit me, then I don't need to touch it. Yeah. And so I know that's focus. Yeah. And that's the thing is just learning that singular focus and knowing 
who you are, where you're going and where you can add value. Yeah. And because I'm looking at a couple. So here's an example. I'm looking at a couple different projects that came across my way. Like I said, we specialize in finished carpentry and we've got a GSA project we're looking at and those get a little bit more complicated and they want us to do more than just finished work is how these things normally work. And I'm like, yeah, the money's great. And if we can get in there and just do trim, I'm going to do it. But if they want me to start doing framing and remodeling and stuff like that, then I need to just back away. Yeah. And then, so I'm looking at that and yeah, I can probably charge a thousand dollars a door because there are security doors and so forth and so on. Or I can go do the apartment complex that I'm bidding on where I know for a fact I'm going to make money. In your wheelhouse. And even with the GSA stuff, there's so much more work involved just in the back end of the office stuff with all the paperwork. It really, for me, this is where I have to ask my question. Do I want to be able to headache? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So 100%. I think that we all ask those questions, whether it's our business or a decision in the business. What is this decision worth? What's the worst case scenario? What's it going to equate to financially or reverberation to team members or clients even? And then you got to decide, is it worth it? Yeah. But that's it's a good reminder that uh, that you're positioning yourself like that. Brian, I want to come at you in a little different way here. I'm going to bring you the speed round. Okay. I want to know if you dwindled your entire business down to one trackable metric, what would it be? One trackable metric. It would be my finances. How much money is coming in? What's going out? Because if I can watch that, and I can see that, then I know where to focus and hone, hone my efforts better. So if I'm working on project A and we're making a 50% profit margin there, then that's good. Or if I'm working on project B and I'm making a 30% profit margin, then I'm like, okay, maybe not focus so much there. Or if I'm on project C and we literally did 15%, we don't I'm going to look at that 15 Yep, exactly. It's okay. If we're going to do this, how do we maximize a profit and get better at it? Or Actually, screw that. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to go work on A and B where I know I can make money. Because even at yeah. 30%, if I can get up to 40, it's closer to 50 and there's still a good profit margin. If power that works in your industry and your businesses. Yep, 100%. I love it. What book would you recommend that a six-figure business owner read? Um, I would say, it's, I don't remember the author, but it's called Traction. Oh, yeah. Um, Gino Wickman. It's, Yeah. Really excellent, especially if you're someone like me that likes to overcomplicate things and just going down that list of keep it simple, keep it simple. One of the most valuable things I learned from that is when they did their writing out their business plan and it was like four or five pages long or whatever. And he's like, can we turn this down to three? And then they got down to three. Can we turn this down to one? And I was just like, that's a really good way of thinking. And the other one that I came across was written by Tommy Milo. I think I said that right. And it's called home service marketing. And he literally just gives you the systems that you need to have to put into place. And it's almost for me as a craftsman in the construction industry, it's almost like taking methods and systems from like McDonald's and fast food companies and implementing that into my company, right. working on that with training programs. Yeah. So your training programs or KPIs, your key performance indicators, and also just making sure the office systems are dialed in. And that's something we're currently working on right now is our office system stuff. That's incredible. If you'll say the name of the book, right when you said it, you blocked out a little bit. What was the name of the book on that one again? It was called The Home Service Millionaire. Home Service Millionaire. Got it. We'll find it and put it in the show notes of that one and, and Traction. We've had Traction uh, mentioned several times. Both of those are excellent books. Have heard, I've read Traction, but heard lots of great things about the Home Service Millionaire as well. Next question. What do you think about intentionally 
networking or masterminding with other entrepreneurs? I think you have to. If you don't, you're literally robbing yourself from the vitamins that you need for your business and yourself <laughs> as an entrepreneur and as a businessman. And yeah. because here's the deal. One of the things when I started networking, I went and I found this CEO peer group thing and I intentionally went into it because I wanted to see what other industries were like with the owners and the executives. And the thing I really came to find out, we all deal with the same stuff. That's right. And then we had a bunch of people at this round table. And once a month, we'd go in there and we'd, hey, I'm dealing with this. Hey, I'm dealing with this. And we'd all address it and figure it out and solve problems together. Yeah. And yeah, we paid for it. But you know what? It was worth it because you get that DNA from everybody else. And you also realize, hey, I'm not the only one that deals with this problem. Because right. one of the problems with being an entrepreneur is we do seclude ourselves sometimes. That's and we get we stuck up here. And when you go and realize other people are dealing with it and you can ask them, hey, how can I get past this? What have you yeah. done? How do you manage work-life balance? How do you deal with this stinking thinking in your head or whatever it is? Yeah, so huge. it's intentionally networking is a must yep. and it's about growing. You don't, for me, networking isn't about making money. My networking intentionality is to grow because I know if I grow, the money is going to come. Yeah. So and then I can take that growth and transition that down to my team members and encourage them in that area too, yeah. because we're the foundation and we are the foundation and we're the ones that lift up our employees and our team members. And I don't even like employees anymore. I think team members is the best way of putting it because it gives you into a different mentality and a different focus. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's the people that you serve, right? Not necessarily that serve you. Exactly. Okay. I got a question here for you around operations. Since you're dialing in some of your operation systems right now, this will be a good one for you. If you only had one hour, Brian, each week to work in your business, you personally, what would you do with that one hour to successfully run your business right now? Make sure my budget's in line, which wouldn't take that long, and then marketing. That's what I do. Yep. Okay. And I'm curious, if, you, if those are the only two plays for you during that hour, what is that in your brain? Because obviously those things are connected to everything else. Why those two for you in mm -hmm. your business? Okay, so those two for me in my business is that one, I need to know where my money is at, what it's doing, how much yep. do I have, how much can I put, where, and all that. And looking at the numbers of not only seeing how much you have or you know how little you've got coming in, and then that right there will spur you with the marketing plan. So for me, I'd be looking at that and I'd be like, okay, cool, if I need to keep marketing. In order for me to keep going and brand my company and have money coming in, I got to keep my foot on that gas pedal. So doing the right. budgeting, seeing what's coming in and going out is like the big old slap in the face. And then that can use, you can use that to drive into your marketing. And so you take half an hour doing your budget and take the other half an hour working on your marketing. Yeah. hundred percent. love then, it. And there's a lot more we can say about that. Yeah, I think that just the conciseness of those two things, I think we've gotten a ton of answers on that, but it gives the listener something to think about. When, the way I heard your answer was, you got to pay you got to pay close attention to the money. And then marketing, if you have no leads, you have no sales, you have no business. Pretty and, easy. And even one thing too, and I, I screw up at this all the time, is you can never take the foot off the gas. Never take the foot off the gas. Because guess what? Let's say you get, you're selling five jobs every single month. And you can't get to them that month, three, four months down the road, you can get to that job. And if they don't want to wait, that's fine. There's someone else to do it. 
but yep. you still have instead of five jobs you got four that are coming up and you got to keep on doing that because if you don't you're going to find yourself stuck and you're going to have a vacation that you really didn't want to have a little bit more permanent vacation <laughs> yeah it's funny because that parlays right into my next question brian my last question here is if you lost it all i want to know what you would do if i lost it all right now especially with my network i'd go flip a house i'd call a couple friends and say hey this is where i'm at i need to make 40 grand 50 grand 60 grand whatever it is that we can that's tangible and i need to borrow money i found this house and i'd go flip a house and i take that money to restart everything else yeah and i'd probably actually just most likely would probably just stick with the flipping houses and getting staying in real estate yeah and you're you got the trade but what i'm hearing you say from a mindset perspective is that you would immediately try to solve the cash flow problem and then put it right back into building what you once had. Yeah. And even in building what I once had, the cool thing is even if I failed, I just learned how not to do it. So I just go do it better. Yeah. You know, if I'm flipping houses or whatever it is and it's working for me, I might just stick with that. I can make 40 grand a month flipping houses or more. Why not? Yep. Yeah, that's a, it's a good perspective. I've had a few folks, a few guests answer that with, that'd be fun almost in a weird way to start all over It'd be freeing a little bit, <laughs> be a little it crazy, is. but it, you know what? The funny thing, it's just, honestly, it's just like the entrepreneurial DNA. There's something yeah, about starting is. something from scratch. It's not, we are the crazy ones. We're not, we're there for safety and security, but we're the guys that leave that safety and secure job to go and right. build something that we don't know if it's going to work or not. We just have right. faith and believe that it can't, and we're going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. That's right. That's right. So that's why if that mentality comes in. No, you're hundred percent right. Brian, you've been absolutely wonderful today. How can the listener connect with you? How can they find you after this? If you want to get a hold of me, it's good. I've got Kelly Construction there on my Facebook page. It's another one. If you're trying to connect with me on LinkedIn, it's just Brian Kelly, and you'll see CEO of Kelly Construction on there. So yeah. Very those good. are going to be the two best ways to connect. I hope that the folks, not only just in your area, but across the country, reach out to you. And you've been, you've given some really cool words here today, such simple things that mean really, honestly, so much. I think for a lot of us, if they were listening closely. So we wish you nothing but success and blessing in your family, your business, all the things you have your hand to. So thank you for being here. Thank you very much, Chaz. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries and now interviewing over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1,000 kings, specifically who are grateful but not done. We're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business, family, and communities. And here's what we believe, that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and, and resonates with you, and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com 
I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.